to just uh, as a place to start, I will be reading a lot out of this little pamphlet, but in Revelation chapter 1, And look at verse uh, 4, Revelation 1, 4. Uh, John introducing himself. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We've been uh, just reviewing some things that are disputed today. Uh, we talked about uh, the deity of Christ, uh, the virgin birth, and today we're going to talk about uh, whether forgiveness of sin is found in Christ's blood. And what's interesting about verse 5, it says that the very specific words at the last of verse 5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. It might be, it might be interesting to you to know that the King James Version is the only one that reads that way. All the others take out the blood. And so the blood of Christ and the significance of the blood of Christ is being disputed. And so just uh, get your little pamphlet there, the, the larger one, and, l and let me read here for a second. When I speak of the blood atonement, when asking the question, is atonement in the blood of Jesus Christ, when I speak of blood atonement in this lesson, it's not in relation to the Old Testament meaning. The word atonement in the Old Testament literally meant a covering. In the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices covered the sins of the people until Jesus could come and take them away. John the Baptist's pronouncement of Jesus is very important to grasp. In John 1.29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The Old Testament sacrifices were only typical and held no power to remove sin, but only covered sin year by year. Thus the meaning of the word atonement. In the Old Testament means covering, Hebrews 10.3. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. But John the Baptist makes it plain that Jesus did not come to cover sin, but to take it away. Actually, the New Testament word is reconciliation. And in fact, uh, w when you read in the New Testament, in your concordance, and uh, checking words, you'll find that, that uh, atonement is only used one time in the New Testament. All the other times, 
is reconciliation. And so, if this was sin, in the Old Testament, when the sacrifice was offered, uh, it was covered, uh, their sins were forgiven, it overlooked, they have a relationship with the Lord, but actually, still underneath the covering, the sin was there. But when Jesus came and died on the cross, he took away that sin, buried in the deepest sea, and made a payment for it uh, through his blood. Uh, the the uh, last last uh, p- period in the uh, first paragraph, the necessity and efficacy of that blood has been under attack in centuries past and remains so today. A typical conversation of years past and today would go something like the following. After a message preached on the atonement, one man said to the other, I don't believe a word of it. You don't believe in the atonement? No, I do not. How then do you think that we're saved? Saved? It depends on what you mean by being saved. I mean, just what the Bible does when it speaks of being saved and being lost. I think we're saved by obeying the teaching of Jesus, by following his example and doing his will, not by his blood. The Methodist dean of days gone by said of the blood atonement, the case, as I understand it, is not so much an atonement for the past as an opening of a gate into the future. That is that Christ simply set an example of a sacrificial life. Today, modern theologians are attacking the Bible in its teaching on the blood atonement. In trying to make the term blood simply mean a violent death, well-known Bible translator J.B. Phillips said the following, I think he, that is Jesus Christ, saw it as the only way out of the impossible situation into which men were jammed. He, God, as a human being, as a representative of human beings, must take the rap. It happened to have been crucifixion, but it might just as well have been in a gas chamber or an electric chair. No shedding of blood. Well-known pastor and writer John MacArthur of Grace Community Church writes in his publication, Grace to You, on, in, in May of 1976. In the case of Christ, the blood is a term referring to the violence and sacrificial character of his death. He goes on to say, it was a death that was efficacious. That means having the power to produce the desired results. And so it was his death that was efficacious and not his blood. Jesus was 100% human. He had human blood and he shed human blood. This was not, nothing, there was nothing in the chemicals of his blood that could save. Atonement was made through his death. Actually, if you've been here for this series, you remember that we gave you some stuff about the virgin birth. And though he was made in all points as men, that he was made in the, after, uh, made, the Bible said he's made in the likeness of man but not exactly like man. This whole, even the question here, when he says that Jesus was 100% human is uh, debatable. 
And, and actually, uh, though he can be created to, and be, t- be tempted in all points like we are, which is possible, was he really 100% human? And then you get over into the big debate that uh, I faced when in uh, Bible school. Could Jesus actually have sinned? And if he couldn't have sinned, then was he really tempted in all points like we are? Well, it's all, uh, <laughs> it's all, uh, if you want to talk about that further, we can, but it's all uh, throwing dirt uh, to muddy the waters. Jesus Christ didn't sin. He was God. He was tempted to the greatest degree to sin. He never sinned. And uh, I believe that what flowed in Christ's veins was God's blood. And we'll look at a verse that says that. In 1988, John Arthur said the following on a cassette tape in which he summarized his beliefs concerning Jesus' blood. There is no saving in the blood itself. We cannot say that the very blood of Jesus, his physical blood, is what atones for sin. The Bible does not teach that the blood of Christ itself has any efficacy for taking away sin, not at all. Well, it's very obvious that the blood of Jesus Christ is under attack. And we could give you quote after quote of men. But uh, the Bible is not silent on the blood. There's over 338 uses of the word blood in the Old Testament and 101 uses in the New Testament. And so let's go, first of all, to uh, Romans chapter 3. I'd show you this picture I have in my Bible, but I probably wouldn't be here next Sunday if I did. <laughs> you didn't see that, did you? <laughs> if my wife knew I showed that, I would actually be dead. <laughs> and if any of you guys squeak, I'll know it was you. All right, Romans chapter 3. In verse 23, I have it in your notes there, but for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. The Bible here uh, plainly states that uh, mankind is a sinner. He's come short of the glory of God. Uh, We have our lineage back to Adam, who Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all sinned. And through that inherited sin nature, the Bible makes it plain in Romans 3, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. 
There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And then Ephesians paints a further picture of man. And you hath he quickened, talking about those who had been born again, who were dead, separated from God, in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And uh, so Jesus did not come, as that Methodist said, to show us the way, but he came to save us. And Ephesians, on further there in chapter 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that knows yourselves it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so, uh, if we're not careful, we might hear someone saying, so uh, we've all sinned, that makes us all the same boat. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that uh, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And the big deal is that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The big deal is that the Bible plainly says that the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so we need a salvation, and salvation is in the blood of Christ. Note again that verse that we read before. For all the sin comes short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through redemption as in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a perpetuation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And so after that statement that we're all sinners, he says that we're justified by His grace. That's a, a justification. Uh, justification. It's a it's a legal term. It's a court a court scene, a courtroom scene. That that it means that we're declared righteous. But uh, God, God cannot declare us righteous without the penalty for sin. There has to be, God cannot be, he, he has to be not only righteous, but he has to be just. And a judge is not just by just overlooking sin. And God cannot be just unless sin, that there, that there, there, there is a, a payment. There has to be a payment. And uh, 
And the judge has the right to say what's going to be paid. You can't just pay in pineapples. And so, <clears throat> redemption, that term, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, when you see that word uh, redeemed or redemption, if I redeem something at the store, redemption, it, it, it means it's a, there's, a, there's a payment. And then he said the word propitiation. It, it covers a great deal. That word is watered down also. But propitiation not only has to do with uh, payment, but it has to do with appeasement. It's a term that uh, was used in the Old Testament for when the offering was put upon the altar and the, and the offering was burnt. Not only did it, it, it satisfy the payment, but it also satisfied the wrath of God. And we've put that here, that the appeasing of the wrath of God. In the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, when the blood was offered on the mercy seat, then God's wrath was overlooked. And so, man stands in need of being justified. He needs to be redeemed. The anger that God has in his, his anger for sin that needs to be appeased, all needs to be dealt with. And so we ask ourselves, what can satisfy the payment for sin, what can appease the anger of God? And I find only one thing in all of the Bible that can appease the anger of God and satisfy the requirement for sin, and that's blood. And that's what we've put at the bottom of the page. We cannot, our righteousnesses, it says our filthy rags, and we do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. It's not the blood of bulls and goats on page 5. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin, so no animal sacrifices. It's not purchased with silver or gold. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, Neither is the mere death of Jesus, not mattering if it was by crucifixion, the gas chamber, or the electric chair. Because it says here in Romans 3.25, it says to be propitiation through faith in his blood. And so, so though, and uh, we'll... Some of the handout I'm going to give you, we probably won't be able to get to today. But yes, uh, when it talks about uh, the blood of Jesus Christ, absolutely it speaks about the death of Christ. And that's what John MacArthur, he's just saying that the blood speaks about the death. We're going to look at one verse. But the death of Christ was necessary, but also his shed blood was necessary. It goes together. You can't separate. You just can't say that when you talk about the blood, it's just, it's just a synonym for a violent death. 
Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Without the death of Christ, there's no remission of sins. But Christ's blood had to be shed when he died. And, and, and that's, uh, that's what God has set up to be. And, and what has happened is, uh, is that people are trying to do away with bloody religion. We want to do away with it. We don't need any bloody religion. And in fact, a number of years ago, uh, the Methodists took every reference to the blood uh, in their hymnal. They took those hymns out. But uh, this, is what, this is what the Lord says. Much more than being now justified in uh, Romans 5, 9, uh, much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be safe from wrath through him. For if when he, we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so you see that I've highlighted here, it talks about we're justified by, the, by his blood and we're reconciled by his death, that they go together. That it can't just be a death by electrocution. It can't just be a death by, by uh, hanging, but the blood had to be shed. And, um, and um, well, I'll, I'll, we'll just keep going here. Uh, both are necessary. Over and over, the Bible emphasizes the blood of Christ. The Old Testament sacrifices were a type and a shadow of Christ coming to shed his blood. Leviticus says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. And so the Old Testament type that was been shown is that blood covers sin. The blood needs to be shed for sin. It is the blood that makes atonement. When Jesus came and the old covenant was done away, the new covenant entered in. The necessity of the blood never changed. Hebrews declared, without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. The term remission that means forgiveness. In Matthew 28 for this is my blood of the new covenant, which was shed, which is shed for the remission of sins. And so, when we when we take of the Lord's supper, we don't just take of the of the unleavened bread that pictures His body. We also we 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 don't just take of the fruit of the vine, which pictures His blood. But the body and the blood are both pictured in the Lord's Supper because not only did he have to die, he had to shed his blood. It's just a requirement that God had. Now, now maybe I will jump ahead here a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I don't think we're going to get to go through here. But I did, you know, I appreciate uh, the writings of John MacArthur and... Uh, and, and, of course, he was the one that stood against the whole state of California during the COVID. 
And there's some good things about John MacArthur, but he doesn't have this right. And I've given you some uh, writings of what John MacArthur said here. And, and actually, John MacArthur gives uh, a straw man in his argument. He says that what we say is that when a person gets saved, that the blood of Christ that's in heaven is taken and, and it's put on, our, put, put on us, and that makes us saved. Well, we've read right here, we've read right here, it's faith in his blood. But his blood had to be shed. It's just the, the, it's just the principle that God had. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The Methodists have taken the blood from their hymnals. MacArthur says it's not the blood but the death. Phillips says that we could be electrocuted. And so turn there to page 6, and let's just, let's just see what the Bible says. In Acts 20, 28, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Who, who, the last phrase, which he hath purchased with his own blood, who is the he? What is it, who does the pronoun he refer to? Refers to God, refers to Christ. That, that the blood that purchased us is God's blood. The requirement. And so, is there anything special about the, the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, absolutely there's something special. The blood flowing within him. He was tempted at all points like we were, yet without sin. The blood that... The, uh, the blood flowing within him was pure blood. We're not redeemed with silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What makes it precious? Well, it's precious because of its rarity, but it's also precious because of its value. And so, um, If we're not careful, we can use some terminology that lessens importance. Romans 5, 9, we've looked at this. Much more than being now justified by his blood, not just his death, but the shed of his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Ephesians 1, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2, 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you sometimes were far off or made nigh, by the blood of Christ, Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1.20, and having made peace through his blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be in things in the earth or in things in heaven. Hebrews 9, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered to once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hebrews 13, 12. Wherefore, 
But Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Um, maybe I should take a time right here to go to the some things I said on the very last page of uh, the other handout. But, but uh, John MacArthur and others, they have, a, they have a real objection to uh, Christ's blood still being around. Look over in Hebrews chapter 9. And let's begin in uh, verse 24. And so what he's doing here, he, he's talking about the most holy place in the, in the temple or in the t tabernacle. The tabernacle was built. There was a g gate put in the front. There was the altar out front here, the laver. When you go in here, it had the candles, candlesticks on one side, the, the sh table of showbread. There was an altar of incense, <coughs> which was called the holy place. And this was the most holy place. And inside the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. And the priest would go in here once a year on the Day of Atonement and offer blood on here. They'd actually put upon his robes little bells to make sure that the offering was accepted and he didn't die. Uh, some say that they put a rope on him so they could drag him out. You know, somehow he didn't do his job in the right way. But when we get to we get to Hebrews chapter nine here, he's speaking to a Jewish audience, though we have it in our inspired word, and he's and he's talking about how this this model, this model in the tabernacle and later in the temple, that this model was fashioned after the the real thing in heaven that was there. And, and he says here in verse 24, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are a figure, the type, of the true. And so there is a true holy of holies someplace, and it's in heaven. But into heaven itself, not to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others, the high priest would have to come in here every year. The sin, as we said, was atoned. But when Christ comes, he's going to come in once, and he's going to forever uh, atone, not atone, but pay for sin. And he said, For yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entered into the holy places every year with the blood of others. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
And it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this to judgment. So Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto him that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So it says there, once in the end of time hath appeared to put away sin. And so when Jesus, he goes into it, not the model, but the real thing. <clears throat> he, he offers blood upon the altar, and in doing that, he puts away sin. Do you understand from this, do you understand why it's so offensive that the Catholics say when they have their communion, that they say that the bread actually becomes his body? And the blood and the... And the uh, grape juice, uh, the, uh, the wine actually becomes his blood because they're crucifying Christ again. It's a type. It is not the real thing. Now, go over, go over, well, let me keep reading here. For the law having a shadow of the good things that come, chapter 10, verse 1, and none of the very things that can never with our sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers there into perfect. And so the Old Testament sacrifices couldn't remove sin. For then they would have ceased to be offered because the worshiper once purged would have no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices is remembered to get made of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, and the volume of the book is written of me to do thy will. Above, when he says, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by the law. This said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he might establish the second. By the which will... We are sanctified through the offering of the holy of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And that every priest standing daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Let's see, I, I want to go to 14. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by the offering, for by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, go over to chapter 12, and let's begin in verse 18. And so he said here that we're coming into the heavenly Jerusalem. He, that he's talking about a gathering after the end of the age. And he says, for you not come to the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor to the blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they heard and treated that which should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And so he said, <clears throat> he's saying, the, he's showing the ins insufficiency of Old Testament sacrifices and every could endure that which was commanded. And just so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come 
unto Mount Zion. He's talking about heaven. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the numerous company of angels, to the general assembly, to the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to, the God, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. He's talking about the things in heaven, and one of the things he says is going to be in heaven is the blood or sprinkling. And so I just tend to believe that Christ's blood is in heaven. It's uncorruptible. And it's there, it's there as a testimony. Does, does every time a person is saved, does it mean, as MacArthur implies, that, does it mean that uh, the Spirit of God goes over and he dips in the fountain and then he goes over and he applied it to my head when I was 13 years old and that saved me? No, it doesn't mean that. Any more than the Day of Atonement, all the blood was put on Israel. But it does mean that the blood matters. And it does mean that salvation came about through Christ's uh, blood. Now, go to page 7. I don't know. Page 7 and... Uh, <clears throat> In the middle there. Why are so many clear verses? Why why so many clear verses? Why is the blood with so many clear verses? Why is the blood of Jesus an attack? The blood of the cross is hated today because it emphasizes the terribleness of sin. <clears throat> Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They'll be red like crimson. They shall be as wool. In the Old Testament, the scene around the altar with the priests offering up the sacrificial animals was not a pretty one. Blood flowed around about the altar. Priest garments were stained with blood. Josephus estimates that during the time of Christ, over 250,000 lambs were slain during the Passover. What a bloody mess. Remember, it was only a type of Jesus' death on the cross. The blood of the cross was not a pretty picture. It was terrible sin. It was terrible price that had to be paid. The Bible says, "What know you not that your temple is the holy uh, temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's." First Peter says, "For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received." By tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. People deny the blood because they don't want to admit their sin. It's a serious matter how we think about the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrew warns us, saying, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy? Who hath trodden under the foot of the trodden underfoot the Son of God, and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unworthy thing, and have done despite unto the Spirit of grace, 
For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongs unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so what's he saying here? He's saying, you know, in Moses' time, people were judged under two or three witnesses, and the government took care of them. But he says, he says how much more do you think God's going to punish those who treat his son as though uh, some pop can on the ground that is trodden underfoot, not respected, just walked over. That's his son and his greatest work that he did for mankind. Or the count of the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, that, that an unholy thing, that that, that, that terrible uh, bloody religion, that, that bloody uh, requirement that his blood is not wonderful, but it's gross, when actually it's the greatest thing that ever took place in mankind, that he would shed his blood for us. And then he said, and he goes on and says, account uh, uh, of the blood of the covenant, and then have done despite to the spirit of grace. What does that mean? Well, it means that uh, people are approached and they're given a gospel message and they're talked about their sin and how it condemns them, but here's a Savior that can save you. And, uh, and they... Uh, have the Spirit of God come and deal with their heart. Every one of you that's ever been saved know that God's Spirit came and said, this is right. What the, what the Bible says about your sinful condition is right, but here's the Savior. But instead of recognizing that, you want to run from it. You, you despise the Spirit of God. I remember from 11 years old to 13 years old, uh, the, the, the gospel was given to me numerous times in Sunday school and in church. And, and man, I tell you, as uh, soon as the last hymn verse was sung, I was, get gone, man. I was out of there. I didn't want to deal with that. I didn't want to think about what the Spirit was trying to say to me. I'd have spit in his face if I could have. I don't want, you know, get out of here. I don't want that conviction. And uh, when we treat the blood of Jesus Christ that way, then we're doing despite to the spirit of grace. Thank God for the spirit of God who continues to draw us. And so the blood matters. And uh, this little handout here, uh, Pastor E.L. Bynum, you guys are all too, too green behind the ears to know who he is. But uh, he preached here years ago when my son Caleb was saved. Brother Bynum was a man who was very gracious, uh, but he was very bold to stand for the truth. And what's interesting, if, if you uh, look at that and you turn, uh, turn into the inside page, I'll just give you this as a little uh, fact. But uh, he said, MacArthur sounds like Bratcher, 
on the blood. And Bratcher is the one who wrote Good News for Modern Man, which is one of the most corrupt Bibles that can be written. But today, if you'll get in your car, and if you'll drive to West Fairbanks, over by West Fred Meyer, and go down the road a little bit, you'll find Alaska Bowl Company. It is run by a man named Bratcher. His parents and the guy who wrote Good News for Modern Man and, and Bratcher himself were all Southern Baptist missionaries in Brazil. His uncles and his father denied the blood of Christ and denied the deity of Christ. The guy who wrote Good News for Modern Man denies the deity of Jesus Christ. Southern Baptist missionaries. And if you want to see what false doctrine can do for people, go talk to Mr. Bratcher, who owns Alaska Bowl Company. There's no spirituality about him. Does it matter to stand for the truth? Absolutely. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ and our faith in what Christ did, his cross work, that's going to save our souls from hell. And so we're talking about things in dispute that's disputed today. We don't have to shy away from it. The Bible has the answers to those things. And uh, we're going to look at a, a couple of more uh, before we're through with this series. Okay. Uh, you're dismissed.